This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. That was too easy. You never do it on the first one. I'll have to do it again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. There we go. That's even better. So we're in Colossians again today. Uh, we're going to start chapter 2 today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians, I'm going to start at the beginning and uh, read up through our text for today. So Colossians 1, we'll start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it also has in the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew of the grace of God in truth, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, having made peace with the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature into heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So before we get into chapter 2, I want to see today what Paul 
agonizes over. And that's really the focus of these first couple of verses in chapter 2. But before we read these first couple of verses, I want to go look, look at a little biblical geography. So on your handout, there's a great big map. And I want to pull that map out for just a second and show you something on the map. So you'll see the, the larger map is the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a little box that's got a call out. Uh, and it's got Colossae. And this is where the letter to the Colossians was written. Yep. Makes sense. And you'll notice that little brown dot in the little box, that's Colossae. And just to the left and a little to the north of that is Laodicea. And just to the north of Laodicea is Heropolis. So those three cities were really, really close together, uh, within, within 10 miles of each other. Um, and that will make the text make a little bit more sense. So chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you see those two cities are connected there, Colossae and Laodicea. So let's look at verse 1 as we flip over to the back side of the handout. So verse 1, so 4, I want you to know what a great conflict. Does anybody have a different word than conflict in your Bible? What is it? Struggle. It's a good word. Anybody else? It was shocking to me that, that most of the translations don't use the word agony because the Greek word is agony. Like A-G-O-N-E. Seems pretty straightforward. Maybe you would want to use the English word agony. Uh, but they don't. But that's where we got our English word agony. The word itself literally means like a great big building, which is kind of odd because you don't think of a great big building being agony. But the things that happened in the great big building were sporting events. Sporting events where there was a struggle, where there was uh, resistance, where there was some type of a combat. Um, and we have a really easy example of this is uh, BC Place. What happens in BC Place the night at 7 o'clock? Anybody know? Nobody knows. Japan, USA. Japan, USA, yes. There will be an agony there tonight at 7 o'clock in Vancouver. Um, I'm going to a bit of Vancouver. Vancouver's an awesome place. I have some family in Vancouver. But the U.S. Women's World Cup final is tonight at 7. And there will be an agony right there. That's what this word is, this idea that there's going to be a conflict. And for Paul, it was an internal conflict that uh, he's got for you, the Colossians, and those in Laodicea. Now, these churches are really close together, and we talked about this when we introduced uh, the epistle to the Colossians, but, but when somebody would write a letter that was really important to one church, they wouldn't just keep it at that one church, they would send it around to the other churches that were in that area. So these letters would get read in all these different churches. And Paul actually makes reference in the book of Colossians to the letter he writes to the Laodiceans. So turn in your Bibles to first Laodicea for me. Where's the letter to the Laodicea? And we, we quickly have to come to the conclusion that not everything that Paul wrote was scripture. Okay? So some of the letters were, some of the letters weren't. There's actually pretty good evidence that there was more than one letter to the Colossians. Which kind of makes you go, well, what did that have in it? I don't know. But it wasn't for us. If it was, it would have been preserved. And it wasn't. So it's okay. We'll be all right with that. Now, this letter to the Laodiceans, Paul has this agony over them. And where do we where do we typically read about the Laodiceans? 
because there's not a letter to the Laodiceans, but there's there's kind of a letter to the Laodiceans. It's like a just a few verses, right? And, and where is that found? In Revelation, right? And if you show up in Revelation, not necessarily a good sign, right? Ha, see what I did there? Sorry. Um, you have you have to listen to the podcast to get this. Okay. <clears throat> so they show up in the in the letter uh, about in the letter of Revelation in Revelation. And what do they how do they describe in Revelation? There's a word that's used to describe them. Luke warm. Yes. So uh, last night I had a cup of coffee. And most of you that know me know that I don't drink coffee. It's a decaf cup of coffee. Uh, my mom, when we were growing up, I had a younger sister, and she would make us kids' coffee. And I don't know if your mom ever made you kids' coffee, but it was about, if the cup was this big, probably this much coffee, maybe 60% coffee, and 30% milk, and 10% sugar. And it was awesome. And that's how I still make coffee. Uh, so, and I have to leave the stir stick in the coffee. You know why, right? Because the sugar just settles, you just stir it back up. Right, drink a little bit, stir it back up, drink a little bit. Well, I, I kept this cup of coffee so long last night that the coffee got lukewarm. And guess what happened to the stuff in the bottom of the cup? It was sludge. It was like, mm, yeah, I think I'm going to leave that alone. Just kind of, you just can't do a lot with lukewarm stuff. You just, it's just not that yet. It needs to be microwave. It needs some assistance, one way or the other. So, so right now, when Paul writes this, in probably AD 60 or so, the church at Laodicea was doing okay. They were doing all right. Paul agonized over them about a couple of things, but they weren't described as lukewarm yet. But in AD 90, about 30 or maybe even maybe it's 35 years later, they're full-on lukewarm. So in one to two generations, they went from okay to what in the world is going on. It can happen fast. It can happen very, very quickly in a church. So it's a good reminder to us that there's no guarantee. So I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So for those of you who study Bibles, what does your little note say out to the side here when you see um, for those of you that have not seen my face in the flesh, almost all the commentators make a statement, and I just, I just don't quite agree. It, it, it leans that way, and it might be true, but it's just not necessarily true. You think about Paul and how often he visited Colossae, or most of the commentators will say that Paul was never at Colossae because the Bible tells us so. And I will say the Bible comes close to saying that, but it doesn't really say that. It kind of peers over the edge, and it, it very easily could be true, but it might not be. You may have seen them before. So, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, so there were some of these folks that had never seen Paul before, that their hearts may be encouraged. You may have a different word for encouraged. Different word for encourage, you know? Comforted, there we go. You know why it says comforted? Because it means comforted. Yeah, that's right. This is the parakaleia, uh, and this may be a word that you're familiar with. Uh, if you've ever done any studies on the Holy Spirit, this is a word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit. When it's used as a noun, the parakaleia, 
it's used to describe the Holy Spirit itself. And this is the one of the functions of the Holy Spirit to come alongside and to comfort. Because this world is hard, this world is broken, this world is rough, this world is mean, and we need a comforter. And that's one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit does. So Paul is agonizing over the Colossians and the Laodiceans that their hearts may be comforted. This is the use of the Holy Spirit in his comforting role. Being knit together in love. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this little phrase, knit together in love. So the first thing we think about knit together, what are we talking about? What, what kind of language do we see in Paul's writing sometimes? This sewing language, right? It's just it's all over the place. You, you want to rightly divide the, the scripture? That's sewing language, where you take one piece of fabric, and you put it up against another piece of fabric, and you put them together so that it matches, so that everything is rightly divided. You want to knit together in love? This is, you're taking two different things, and you're knitting them together with love. So I don't know what the love string looks like, but this is what is knitting these things together. Sorry, that was the best I could do it early in the morning. You guys are asleep on me today. Uh, another way to describe this is uh, Robertson's Word Pictures. Uh, it says to make go together. To make it go together. And then the love is the, the, the binding agent. This is what fits it all together. So I've got two blanks here that a lot of stuff can go in, and I need your help with this one. So I need, I need your help with a, an explanation. So the best I could come up with was love is necessary to a church like eggs are necessary to a cake. Because if you bake a cake and don't use eggs, what happens? You just forget the eggs. It's not quite a cake, is it? What is it? It crumbles. And it's just it's going to make a mess, right? Is it, nobody's ever baked a cake. Get, get not without the eggs. Not without the eggs, because it's no good. You're not going to eat that, right? Not going to work. So, so what else, what other analogies? I love analogies. To me, analogies are one of the reasons that I think Jesus is the greatest teacher that ever lived, because he took all these really, really, really basic things that everybody in the history of the world can relate to, and he explains things with those. So what other things can we think of that uh, are binding agents that hold things together? Jules, you got the so we got eggs and a cake. What else? It's not the permanent one, is it? Nope, the dry erase. Just making sure. Oh, I don't have a bullet. All right, never mind. We won't do that. How's that? They're going to hold it up. See? There you go. Don't let go of the rope. There you go. Um, okay, here we go. So we got eggs and a cake. What else we got? Partner and partner. What is that again? Partner. 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 And bondo. It's, it's a two-part epoxy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the color stuff that mixed together. Yeah, that's fine. You understood partner? Yes. All right, what else? Something that's necessary to hold two things together, or multiple things together. If you don't have it, it just kind of all falls apart. Brick and mortar. Yeah, the, the mortar is helpful, right? So we would say mortar to brick. Okay, what else? To whatever, right? Yes. Glue <laughs> to whatever. All right. Oh. Oh. 
or talk to whatever. Entire does not matter. Yes. To all. Now, this word knowledge, uh, I'm going to detour here for just a second. And one of the reasons we're only going to look at three verses today is that because of this word knowledge. And so, when we introduced the epistle to the Colossians, I made reference that there was a bunch of stuff going on that Paul was writing against, but it was kind of like a hodgepodge. And I think I may even use the term the buffet. We make jokes about Ryan's. <clears throat> Still not going there. And the, this idea, I'm not, I'm just not doing it. Uh, this idea that these Colossians would take a little of this, and they take a little of this, and they take a little of this, and they take a little of this, and end up in this hodgepodge. Well, it, it seems like, based on all the stuff that Paul writes about, the driving force behind all this hodgepodge was Gnostics. And here's the word for your, your blank G N O S T I C S. G N O S T I C S, Gnostics. So if we, if we go back to the region Colossians was written, it's to set the Colossian and Laodicean churches straight on the idea, here's an explanation, that Jesus is better than anything and everything else they could mix in with Christianity. So the Gnostics didn't want to mix in love with people, the Gnostics wanted to mix in knowledge with people. They wanted to take that and say, if you understand spiritual things, then that is what salvation is really about. That's how you know God. That's how you know you're close to God. So for them, it was all in your head. And with Jesus, it's, it's all in your heart that works its way out into your hands. Two completely different concepts. So the quote from Guzik here is, whatever the problem was precisely, Paul dwelt on the solution, a better understanding of Jesus. So I went to Wikipedia and I looked up Gnosticism, and Gnosticism is still around. I was like, who knew? Still going. Um, but here's an extended definition for you. It's a modern term categorizing a collection of ancient religions whose adherents shunned the material world. They shunned the material world. So anything that was physical and real was, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's second tier. That's second class. This is not nearly as important. So they shunned the material world. And they embraced the spiritual world. They embraced the spiritual world. So the idea was anything that is high, anything that is invisible, anything that is hard for the average person to understand, oh, now that's how you really know God. And there's only, get this, there's only a few of us that have it all figured out. 
And you should listen to those few of us. And maybe you should give a few of us the, your, your dollars. Right? <clears throat> because we have it all figured out. And, and we'll tell you what it's all about if you, if you, if you give us money. And, and this was kind of what Gnosticism was all about. It was all about the spiritual world. It was all about God is not part of the physical world. So they would not say that God directly engages with the physical world. They would say that God is only in the spiritual. So when Paul comes talking about a God who becomes one with humanity, who walks around, who is described as having all knowledge and wisdom, and all the mysteries of the world are in him and fulfilled in him, what do you think the Gnostics would say to that? No. This, this is like the anti-Jesus philosophy of the world. That you can't know God directly, that God is high and different and apart. So, so we have this idea that uh, he's agonizing over them, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of the mystery. So what's a mystery? What's a mystery? Something that hadn't yet been revealed. Anybody have a different word than mystery in your translation? It is a mystery. It's a secret, um, the mystery of God. So, so let me ask you a question: Who is the mystery of God? It's Jesus, right? I mean, Sean taught this lesson two weeks ago. The mystery of God is Christ. That, that's that's who it is. So, so when the Gnostics would come along and say, "There's mysteries that are hard to understand that only a few of us can get." The real God would come along and say, no, showed you who the mystery was. The mystery that I have kept slightly hidden and obscured and a little bit blurry all through the Old Testament is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And only in him and through him and by him does everything else make sense. Literally, everything else makes everything else holds together. Everything else has its meaning. Everything else makes sense in Christ. And without him, nothing really makes sense at all. So Paul tells them that they have to use their will and their intellect and their knowledge in understanding this mystery, right? All those things are involved. So what, what is this telling me? It's telling me that some things are hard. Right? Would you agree? Some things are hard to understand. What was the hardest class you ever took in school? For you. It may not be, may not be hard for somebody else. What's the hardest class for you? Cal 1. Cal 1. Yeah. Grammar. Grammar. There we go. That's probably it. English grammar? Yep. What else? What is it? Anatomy and physiology. Anatomy and physiology. Can I not just revel in the mystery of God made the human body? Do I, have to, do I have to learn all the little pieces of everything? No. Jesus, can I, can I not be my answer? I want that to be my answer. It my, my teacher wouldn't let me not be it. just wasn't okay with Jesus. I really don't think you like this. Um, what else? Hardest class you took? German. German. Uh, 19. <laughs> uh, what? Yeah, sorry. What else? English composition. English composition. You could. Oh, what? Yes. What? Because I could not prove that I was wrong. Let, let me put my surprise face on this. 
I will say, man, they was composition here that probably has that sometimes there. What else? What, what was that? Biomechanics? Those words shouldn't go together. Bio and mechanics. What is that even about? Human biology. See, now we've taken math and mixed it up with the body. Math doesn't need to be mixed up with anything else. <laughs> just, I'm a mathematician. You don't mix it with anything else. I'm a purist. Theoretical math. <laughs> so for me, for me, it was non-Euclidean challenges. Did somebody else say that? You said really? That's awesome. It's not, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was awful. Um, so my description of non-Euclidean geometry is all the geometry that you learned in high school. <clears throat> just pretend all that is wrong. Like literally, no, that's like day one. Day one is all that is wrong. And then what are all the conclusions you can draw if all that was wrong? So at least in high school geometry. There was a shape that made sense, not an Euclidean geometry. Uh, yeah, it's probably like philosophical geometry. I, I would actually, use, I would use other words to describe it, but it, I would get in trouble if I used those today, so I will not. Uh, but it was just ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Things that were extraordinarily difficult to understand. Um, another one for me was abstract algebra. Some of you are going, it was already abstract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put that word in front of it. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there were no numbers. It was just all letters. It's like, I'd like a number once in a while. That'd be great. Just throw me a four. I think no numbers. It's ridiculous. But these, these ridiculously difficult things that we have studied in school are nothing. They are drivel compared to the complexities of God himself. And, and we sometimes, we look at the Bible and go, oh yeah, Jesus is God, it's so awesome. We're going to explore that concept for the rest of eternity. And when we get to the end of what we consider eternity, we still won't have it figured out. And we'll get to continue exploring it for whatever's after eternity. I don't know. Because I don't have the words to describe because I'm not that great at grammar. Go. Uh, it's just ridiculous, deep, hard things sometimes with theology. And I say to that, dig in, buckle up hip waiters on because it's worth it. Don't 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 lean back when you come across something in the scripture and you go, ah, it's kind of difficult. I'll I'll ask somebody about that. Yeah, ask the Holy Spirit about that. That's who to ask. Don't ask Siri. <laughs> that was perfect. Siri won't know, I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. Alright, so back to the text. Here we go. So the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So how much is there to learn about Christ? How much is there to learn about God? Yes. Thank you. That's a great answer, right? It just it goes off in that direction forever, in that direction. I mean, it's just it's incredible. We will never get to the bottom of that deep, deep well. So in whom, in whom are hidden. And this word hidden is not a hidden that, uh, that will never be opened. This is a kept secret at this point. They are hidden. All the treasures. I don't know if you noticed what word I emphasized as I read through Colossians chapter 1, but it was the word all. The word all shows up a lot in Colossians chapter 1 because he's setting up the rest of the book. Because Jesus is not just all in all in Colossians chapter 1, he's all in all in Colossians chapter 2 and 3 and 4. So the, the quote from Guzik here, 
Um, it says, Paul wanted to know that real wisdom was not hidden in secret books, like the Gnostics wanted us to believe, but deposited in Jesus Christ so that all can access it. And that, to me, is one of the beautiful things about Christianity, is it is not a belief system for a few people. It is designed for everybody. It is the most inclusive concept the universe has ever known, is the gospel. It is absolutely stunningly beautiful. So all the treasures, or the deposits of the wealth, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all of them. So, so where is all wisdom and all knowledge and all treasures? Where are they found? In Jesus. In Jesus. And this, to me, reminds me of all those Proverbs that I was taught as a child. That the beginning of knowledge is the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And wisdom begins with him and knowledge begins with him. And to me, Paul is connecting all those Proverbs in the Old Testament with Jesus. And that Jesus is the true and better wisdom that we can see fleshed out now and understand and see how it relates to our world. So he said, Jim, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. Number one, love is critical. Love is critical. So what do I do with that? Well, agonize over loving each other. You want to agonize over something, don't agonize over your hair or your lack of hair or your clothes or your lack of stylist clothes or whatever. Agonize over, did I love appropriately today? Right? Some of you are looking at my shoes today and going, dang. It's my shoes. There you go. Some of you are going, that's not what I'm looking at, Jim. That's right. These legs. This is after two days, this is after two days in the sun. SPF 50, baby. That's right. I'm going out like a pingin. That was not in the notes, actually. I may need to edit that out. I'm not sure. So agonize over loving each other. This is, this is what ought to drive us up the wall. When we lay our heads in, on the bed at night, it ought not be, oh man, today was a great day. I got to see so-and-so. It was about me. It was about this. It ought to be, who did I love? Who did I pour myself into? Do I have any strength or energy left that I could go help or serve or do or work for somebody else? Because love is critical. Number two, Jesus is knowable. There are people in the world today who believe that God is not knowable. Think about how non-purposeful their lives are. I can't know God. Okay, what am I here for? How how do I fit into the universe? What is important? So what do I do with that? Well, dig in. Get to know your God. Dig in. And the number three, Gnosticism still exists. This idea is that, that, that knowledge is everything and the spiritual is unimportant. You may have seen something in the news in the last couple of weeks about spiritual things being ignored. Imagine that, right? This is going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So what do I do with that? Well, do the same thing Paul did. Tell people to get to know Jesus, a better understanding of Jesus. A good Christology will fix most heresy and bad theology. You dive in. You dig in, you learn about Jesus, you learn the right things, the truth about Jesus, you stay close to Jesus, and that will fix a whole lot of heresy. It will fix a whole lot of bad theology. It is hard to get too far off into the weeds when you are really focused on Jesus. So focus on him. Nothing else is worth it. Dig in and agonize over loving each other. So uh, next week we will try to finish. Maybe we'll see. I'm taking my time. 
Um, we will try to finish this little section in Colossians. Uh, I did a tentative map out last night, and I think somewhere toward the end of October-ish, we might finish with Colossians. So we'll be here a while. Albert Whiting, who is not here today, what's up with that? Uh, challenged me to memorize the book of Colossians and to quote it the last day that I taught this series. So I'm going to try. You're going to do it too? You try. Awesome. I would love some help with this. This would be kind of cool. So, uh, so we'll see. But Albert, you got to show up, man. That's the way it works. Throw him under the bus just like that. No, it's not getting cut out of the podcast. So at the middle of your table is a piece of paper. It says weekly update on it. So if you will put your prayer requests on that, that'd be great. Uh, if you've got new prayer requests that you want to have added to the page, then please put those in the ongoing section. Otherwise, just put them in the, the new weekly. Uh, make sure your name is on that page somewhere. For attendance purposes, thank you for coming today. And, uh, we do not need to put the chairs up so they can stay where they are. Thank you.